In this podcast, I talk with Kel Von Zon. He is a uh, former owner of Plyworks, and he's a, another great advocate for the lean and green movement. Uh, he lives here in Portland with me, and we met up a couple months ago through the Lean Portland uh, work that we've done with uh, nonprofits in the area. And so him and I have really been hitting it off well, and he invited me to come with him to a conference called the Provender Alliance Conference, which is a conference for natural foods and products held in Hood River, Oregon. Uh, this is last month sometime. And so we gave a, an hour and a half talk about Lean and Green to the business owners and workers in that industry. So uh, the conference was excellent. Um, I wish we would have been able to attend the whole thing. But uh, the day we were there, it was a lot of good topics, um, a lot of passionate people, really um, exciting. And I'll probably try to go to that again next year. So check it out if you're into uh, natural foods and, and products. Um, so what I'll do is post the um, the audio and I'll post the slides that go along with that as a video. So you can come to, back to the website at leansixsigmaenvironment.org to check out the full presentation. Uh, we'll also uh, attach the PDF files for you to download. Um, the audio is pretty good throughout, but um, there are times when there's questions from the audience or our mic kind of comes in and out a little bit. So hopefully you can still get the gist of it, but you'll hear a little bit different uh, approach from what you might have heard from me in the past because we got together and kind of combined our our concepts. So I think you'll really enjoy hearing uh, Kel's perspective on uh, lean and green, especially as a small business owner. Um, and then I'll probably have Kel on later with uh, a formal interview, which will be the first interview I have on the podcast well, we'll go over the stuff he did at his former company in terms of tracking bike, bike commuting, how he uh, worked on a lot of activities to green the products themselves, which is really a difficult piece, and just his overall philosophy. And right now he um, had sold the business and he's now doing consulting. So um, we've been making a lot of good contacts in the Portland area, and um, he's been a, a, just a great resource to try to get this momentum going. So I'll link up his... Uh, website and contact information so you guys can stay in touch and and check out all this great stuff he's doing all right hope you enjoy okay i guess we'll, uh, we'll get going um thanks for coming to our workshop uh, i'm kelvin zone my uh, partner in crime brian uh pronounced brian or bright home like i used to think <laughs> um i am a lean efficiency consultant i work for myself uh, which is a wonderful thing to be doing and I'm also a brand ambassador for Portland Made, uh, which is a, a not-for-profit organization that supports small makers in Portland. So I tend to work with companies that are between like anywhere from two to like 50 employees. That's my sweet spot. And I help them with lean efficiency and really, I specialize in bringing it in through the entire organization. So for both the information flow as well as the product flow and material flow. Um, I'm married to Fitters by Kim, who's my wife right here. <laughs> And I'm a co-founder of a company called Plywork, which was a, we actually did kind of very similar to what you see at the back here, the prints. So, but we mounted them onto FSC certified bamboo and maple plywood. So it was a sustainable way of printing and mounting photography and presenting it. I ran that for 10 years. 
Um, I had 1.25 employees, so I really learned how to run a manufacturing operation through doing it. And about five years in, when we were two months behind on orders, we came across Lean and within a few months managed to get on time and then managed to keep pushing up the envelope on Lean and really helped us to uh, turn the company around in a big way. Um, I ended up selling the brand and, and after realizing that I love Lean much more than running a company, I ended up closing it up and, and doing what I do now. Uh, and just to kind of like tie this back into why I'm here, um, I always, Plywork was a sustainable or an eco-conscious company, none of them are sustainable. Um, and in trying to be eco-conscious, we really took it to as far as we could take it with the budget that we had. Even that was never far enough, obviously. And one thing I realized with Plywork is that people don't care enough about what they hang in their home or what they put on their walls or what they put on their body um, when it comes to sustainability and whether it's organic or things like that. You know, that's the last thing, like Ikea is so big for a reason. Whereas farmer's markets are very popular for a reason, which is that we care first and foremost about what we put in our body and what we ingest, which makes sense, right? I mean, okay, I'm breathing in VOCs, but what I'm ingesting is gonna do me probably a lot more harm. So I think what I've seen myself is that it's not easy to market organic food by any stretch of imagination. But when you look at the world and where people are actually putting their money when it comes to sustainability, I think organic food is like kind of the first base, as it were. And so because of that, I've always been very interested in working more in the organic food industry and in natural foods. So I was very, very excited to have the opportunity to come here and present. Uh, and my own personal um, reason for being in business is that I really see local manufacturing and a return to localized economies as key to solving a lot of problems in this world. It's not going to like stop us from putting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, but it's going to reduce the amount we do if we stop shipping everything around. I mean, buying kiwis from New Zealand makes no sense. Uh, but it also doesn't make sense to buy from Ikea when it's getting shipped five times around the world to get to us. Something that used to frustrate me to no end when it came to FSC certification. Who's aware of FSC certification here? You guys know what it is? It's the Forestry Stewardship Council. So it means like chain of custody certification from the person who's growing the wood all the way through harvesting, through transportation, storage, and sales. Now, that's all great, but it doesn't take into consideration carbon footprint at all. So you can be an FSC certified wood, which is technically like the only international real good standard of quality we have for where the wood comes from and if it's you know organically grown, grown and sustainably harvested but it doesn't matter if it's i mean our wood i found out was you know grown in the baltics shipped around to china then it was like laminated and then it was like sent to america and then it was shipped by train and then by truck and then came to us i was like well why can't we have it done in oregon well it costs too much I'm like, oh, of course it does <laughs> so you know I, I really believe that localizing economies is where it's at. So, and that's why I'm really interested in being here and being here now. So anyway, I'll pass on to Brian, he can introduce himself. Okay. Thanks, I'm Brian Hurley. I work at uh, Rockwell Collins, which is an aerospace manufacturer. So of course that's why I'm here. Um, <laughs> so that, that was some of the questions I've gotten. So what does that have to do with uh, this conference? Um, so what we're gonna talk about today is process improvement. And so that's where I've uh, spent a lot of time well, learning um, Lean and, and Six Sigma, some of the concepts we'll talk about today. But as I got in more into it, I started looking at how does this relate to sustainability, and that's something I've been kind of 
learning more and more over the years and getting more uh, concerned and aware of those issues. And I saw a very strong connection between process improvement and reducing our impact on the environment. And so that's where I really got interested. And so my role at my company is, is uh, implementing lean, doing classes, teaching, running events, and um, also setting up a green team and getting our sustainability programs going and moving in the right direction. So that's where I got interested in this topic of lean and green and how they work together. Um, I've also been uh, getting more interested in food, the, um, looking at the, what I eat and the diets, um, been going vegan for the last two years, and that's really opened my eyes to what I'm uh, selecting, where, where I'm getting my food, where it's coming from, what's in it, that type of thing. So where in years past, I probably would not have cared much at all about it. It was something that looked good or was edible. Now I'm um, very conscientious about what I'm, what I'm putting in there. So I uh, really like the stuff that you guys are doing and um, also looking at how do, we, how do we go back to nature and bring things um, from nature and use them for the purpose that they um, really have for them. So that's about it. I will add that something that Brian told me himself is that he'd much rather be working with the likes of you guys than for Rockwell Collins. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what is Lean? Uh, who here has heard of Lean before? Wow, that's awesome. That's like a lot <laughs> compared to Nor um Maybe uh, have two of you, whoever wants to take the stage here, share with us kind of your experience with Lean. It gives a little bit of background. Any volunteers? Justin Time Inventory. Okay. In manufacturing, that's part of it, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's definitely part of it. Anybody else? No? Okay, no worries. All right, so it's also known as Agile, and it's also known as Six Sigma. Um, Six Sigma, or Lean Six Sigma is the term that's often used. Uh, you're Lean Six Sigma certified. Um, Lean itself came from Toyota. We'll talk about that a bit more in a minute. Agile is where it was adopted by the software industry and became known as Agile. I like Agile a lot better than the word Lean, personally. I think Lean is very miscommunicating what it is. Lean, often people think of like, oh my God, we're gonna lose our employees and you know people are gonna go running by the masses and it scares people. Agile is really what it's about. It's about making your organization, this is any organization, you can do the problem in an Agile way as well. You could do a household, I've leaned my kitchen up, so I've taken all the kitchen doors off, so it's easier to get to my food and to get to everything. Um, Agile is about like the organization being able to adapt and move and change as the market changes and the people running it changes and the processes change and laws change, whatever it is, there's always change in your organization. It never, ever ends. We want it to, but it never does. <laughs> So the agility you get from being lean is really the power behind it. And I think that's really, really important. So this is another way I think of it. It's like a holistic operational template and it has three different aspects to it. Now, I've heard more recently the idea of like American lean versus original lean. American lean is where they people piecemeal a little bit of tools, they take some Kaizen, they take some just-in-time ideas and they work on inventory and then they have some theories behind it. And then it doesn't work. Like 60 to 80%, I think it fails. It just doesn't work. And why? Because it's not supported by the culture. It's like anything else. It's like greenwashing. You can say like, oh, we're gonna do this and we're gonna be more green. But if the culture doesn't support it and they're only doing it because you know the customers are saying they want it, but they're only doing it just to greenwash, it doesn't work. Ultimately, it's gonna fail. You need the people in there, you know? Um, if you think, I always think of Patagonia as a good example. If you were to buy Patagonia, you try taking away 
you know, sustainability out of Patagonia, it would be impossible. You would just kill the company because it's so core to the culture. And that's what lean is all about. It's like, if you really want to be lean, if you want it to work, you have to have the culture. It's a really, and that's more the traditional sense of lean. So it's a way to create more value for customers using fewer resources. That's a very basic definition of lean. Yeah, so one of the comments I hear a lot is, well, we're already lean because we only have three people, or we have six people in our group, or something like that. And that is kind of a, to what Kel was talking about, not really a great term because immediately people think of, I have to you know, work more harder than I do today, I have to do things faster um, with less people, and we're gonna lean it out, and so I'm, I'm barely getting by with enough resources. And that's completely opposite of what we're trying to talk about. Um, we want to be smarter about the work and not let things sit and delays come in and problems creep into the process. We want to address those and fix the process. And so keep that in mind is that if, you're, if you think it's uh, going to be restrictive, it actually should make the work easier and, and, and more relaxing and more um, easier pace of doing the work. It's not going to be stressful and overwhelming. Thank you. Yep. Very good points. There's another way I like to think of it, it's like Feng Shui for business. It's how ideas, people, their energy, information, materials, and everything, cash, it's very, very important, flow through your organization, but then doing it in the most harmonious and efficient way possible. And harmonious really gets into the people aspect of lead the culture. You know, harmonious way is where people are working, and you're really busy, and you've got this massive wholesale order that came in, and you're trying to process it, but it's working, it's efficient, it's harmonious, people aren't stressed out, you know, it's not like, oh my God, we ran out of this raw material, how did that happen, oh my God, it's your fault, blah, 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 you know, it's not like that. It's things are moving because you're ready for it, you're agile, you're able to take on those things. So a little brief history of Lean. This guy here, Taichi Ono, he's an industrial engineer for Toyota, 1912 to 1990, he was around. He is considered the, uh, <coughs> the father of Lean. So it was started post-World War II into, uh, in Japan in, with Toyota, and it was a way to really compete with the American auto industry. At that time, the American auto industry came out of World War II and it was just rocking it. They were just raking in the cash. And Toyota was very small, and they were having a lot of problems, and you know we kind of screwed up that country by dropping two nuclear weapons on it. Uh, and they didn't necessarily want to like buy from us. They wanted to make their own cars for good reasons. But they also like realized that if they're gonna do this, they need to like understand it better. So they came to look at American manufacturing and they did tours. And what they started realizing is that the way we were doing things here wasn't necessarily the smartest way. And Taichi Ono was actually a big fan of Ford. He read a lot of Ford's papers and he read a lot of his production ideas and, and methodologies and theories. And what he also realized, he may have been one of the first, is when he went to Ford, it's like, wow, they're not doing it like Ford imagined at all. They kind of took his idea and then just screwed it. And again, like the culture wasn't there. Um, we'll get more into this later about what that means. But um, he essentially started Lean there in a small workshop and he grew it from there. And then, you know, Toyota these days is the largest auto manufacturer in the world. And we know what happened to the American auto manufacturers. We're all paying for it. <laughs> so if that's not like proof that Lean does work, and I don't know what it is. But that's only proof in a large organization. You guys are much smaller than Toyota, and I understand that. So we're also going to talk about how it applies to you. But that is really where it came from. So it's been around for 60 years. It's a system science. So it's not just like this idea that you kind of try. It really is uh, based on methodologies that require data. It's a data-driven 
system science. Do you have anything to add to that? Or, no? This is one of my favorite books um, on Lean. Uh, it was produced in the 80s. It's a direct translation of one of Taichi Ono's works. Um, and if you guys want to just read that real quick, because I think it really sums it up well. So he was really about this idea of respect for humanity. That was huge to him. And when I come back to what I said, like the third kind of key point to lean organization is culture. That's what this is about. And that's what often is missed in American lean. People don't take their respect for humanity thing. They're like, it's a bunch of bosses sat around a table going, okay, we should do this, we should do this. And then the, the employees have no say on it. That is not lean. That is not what lean is. That's the opposite of what lean is. And I actually, just real quick, when you read these books, he, this is how he talks about business, which I think is so different than American business books. After I started reading his book, works, I was very inspired to stop reading American business books. You know, There are some out there that are great, Let My People Go Serve by Yvonne Chouinard is a great book. Um, but most of them are just so focused on just the bottom line and it's very like analytical and people, they don't talk about people, they don't talk about the love, they don't talk about the way he's talking about it. There can be no joy, respect for humanity, la la la, you know, disrespectful. Like, I love that, and I think that's really important. Okay, like anything else in the world, nothing is black and white. As we guys give you, as we give you guys ideas about lean, you can always tell me how lean may not work in your business. I get that, all right? And that's cool, but that's not what it's about. It's about understanding where it can work. Look at like where it can work, and eventually you will realize that. There's very few instances where lean doesn't work. There are some, absolutely, but there are very few. So don't focus on that little 20% where it may not work, and I think it's actually less than that, but focus on the 80% of the time where it really does work and saves you money and makes it easier. Okay, so this is kind of getting into theory of lean. Single piece flow. Who here goes kayaking? Anybody? All right, so you guys know, like, when you're going down a river, what is it all about? It's about really anticipating what's happening, right? Now, how do you do that? The best way to be able to do that is to be able to look underneath the water and see where there's boulders, see where it's deep, see where it's shallow, right? That's kind of like what it's like when information and materials flow through your business. As it flows through your business, it's gonna get into points where it's really deep, where inventory is building up, where there's like bottlenecks, and there's parts where it's really shallow and it just flows really fast. If you don't understand how that flow works and where the bottlenecks are, you end up looking like this guy when you get busy. So a big order comes in and that's what you end up with. So single piece flow is really about limiting the stream, the value stream. So the, the simplest way of saying that is if you imagine a river, here's a river, right? And there's boulders everywhere and I can't see them because the river's raging up here. If I drop the level of the river down to here, all of a sudden these big boulders are really apparent. I could just take them away and I can get rid of them and get rid of them. And then eventually, like once I've gotten rid of all these boulders, which are the bottlenecks in your business, then you could bring the level of the river slowly up as you need to based on customer demand. Not just because you can, on customer demand. But you won't have the bottlenecks because you've already removed them. As opposed to just batching, which is like making 20, 30 at a time of things. Even though you think it's more efficient, what you're actually doing is just increasing the level of the river. That's a very kind of like basic lean theory that's very key to everything that you do in lean. And from an environmental perspective, the deeper your water is, the more you have flowing there, the more you're actually consuming. If you're doing things ahead of time, if you're doing things 
uh, in massive batches, you're actually using more than you need to at the time. So, just in time. Never too early, never too late, just in time. How often do you do things because you want to do them as opposed to you need to do them? Right? Like we have like five things to do on our to-do list, and one of them is like, oh, that looks like fun. I'm going to do that, but it needs to be done next week. Right? As opposed to like, I have a provender conference that I'm talking at tomorrow. I should probably be working on that presentation. So, just in time really is taking that to the nth degree. So in manufacturing, if your customer orders something today, ideally you're making it today. You're the perfect just-in-time, single-piece flow, lean, like, oh, godlike situation would be your customer places an order, and immediately easy places that order. You call your vendor, he turns up an hour later, hand you the raw materials, you make one, and deliver to your customer the same day. It means you have hardly any inventory, which is cash in your bank. It means that you have hardly any space needs, because you're making one at a time, so you don't need that much space. You don't have to like, build massive amounts in one go. You need less space, that's savings. Less energy, less water, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's the idea of just in time. But it's a really key thing, like when you start thinking about your workflow, whether it's like emails, whether it's information flow, whether it's product flow, think about doing things just in time. Just do them as you need to, not ahead of time. Even if you know you need it, don't do it. <laughs> if, you have to, if you know you're gonna sell 100 over the next month, but you can choose to make 50 for the next two weeks or 25 for the next week, make 25 for the next week. And then make another 25 next week, because you know what? When you make these 25, there may be another order that comes in for a different product that needs 25 this week. And instead of making 50 this week for like, or 100 for the rest of the next three weeks, you're only making 25 so that you can focus the rest of that attention on the other products that you're making that are needing to be done now. Or do we all have projects that need to be done that are always on hold? You can work on those things. You know, we don't want you to spend time making things ahead of time. The ideal, like, measure that I give people when it comes to, like, holding inventory, holding raw materials, holding uh, anything in, in your information, and uh, especially, like, inventory system, is, like, don't ever make more than one to two weeks' worth. Or don't ever hold more than one to two weeks' worth of inventory. Even if it costs more per piece to buy raw materials. I want you to buy less, even if it costs more. Because the actual cash outflow is less. If you buy 100 things at 75 cents a piece versus 10 at a dollar a piece, you're spending $10 versus $75. That's $65 less that you're spending. Think of it that way. Not, I'm spending 25 cents more per piece. And that's a really key thing to lean and just in time thinking. Because most often, as you grow the business, those are the numbers that are going to kill you. That, that like per per piece cost pricing or cost accounting as we call it, kills your business as it grows. Because it kills your cash flow. I remember with Plywork, we used to buy bamboo and we got a great deal if we bought a half container load, $10,000 worth in one go. That would last us six to eight months. We did that twice. And after the second time, I'd lost like so much hair and gone great enough where I was like, I'm never doing this again. This is ridiculous. This is stupid. I'm going lean. And we started paying 30% more per sheet and we never had any problems after that with like cash flow or, well not never, but far less. Was, that cash flow problem was done. And it made it much more harmonious for everybody and less stressful when I wasn't stressed back <laughs> to run the business. And that's just one example, but we did it for our entire production flow. And when you do it everywhere, it really starts putting cash back in your bank account. Oh, and then, sorry, coming back to the, the green side of it, 
The earlier we consume, the faster we consume, right? If you buy a new car every year, that means every year you're putting a lot more stress on the planet's resources. Whereas if you buy a car and run it into the ground, if everybody did that, we'd be buying a lot less cars, right? We might be using a little bit more gas because they're not as efficient. But those are things to really think about, you know? Like if everybody in the world started buying food, what we needed today only, instead of going to Costco and buying six months supply worth of stuff, think how much less food would need to be produced at any given time and how much food was actually in circulation. That's another really good way of thinking about it. Right, we're going to watch a little video. Uh, we're going to talk about the effect of batch size on throughput, which is kind of one of the just-in-time, single piece flow thinking. Um, okay, so we have a product here, and it's being made, and it's being made in batches of 10 at the top, batches of 5, and batches of 1. And it's got the number of days at the bottom. Now you'll see the red ones. The red one here, at the bottom here, just flying back across again, that was a defect. And they noticed it really quickly because they're only making one at a time. So when the point they got to the checkpoint here, that, the, that red one went straight back, got fixed. They fixed the problem. They found it right early on, right? So they never made any more that were defective because they knew what the problem was. Now, up here, they haven't even got to find the problem yet. So they're actually making more of these without realizing. So when you do one at a time, the speed at which the first one gets done is always going to be faster. If you do 10 at a time, Potentially, it could be 10 times slower. Usually, you get a little bit of economics of scale, but that doesn't usually pay out in the end. And this is one of the reasons. And this is only one of the reasons. There's many more. We're going to talk about them. But it's the defect thing that really gets you done. Now, look, they're done. The green one is done. They're still working on those ones at the top. And they keep going. And this is, this is you know, simple math, simple science. It's not, it's not complex. But it's something that, in our lives, we tend to batch. We always tend to batch. You know, I go to the point where I make myself dinner and lunch, I really think about like not batching. Instead of taking all the food out of the fridge in one go, and then I'm like, oh my god, I got nowhere to cut. I gotta put some away again, I gotta stack it up, or it falls over, you know. That's all waste. Like I just take out one thing, I cut it up, clean it up, put it away, and then go on and go on. You know, single piece flow. So the other thing I'll mention here. Yeah. So also <clears throat> when you see that the batch size of one, the ones that were getting done got done much a lot faster. Guess what? That's out the door, and you're sending invoice, and they're sending a check in, or at least the 30-day time period starts kicking in. The one at the top, they still had they had a lot of work in process, so they had paid workers all that time, and they still haven't even sent out the product, and so they're not going to get paid for a long time. And that's what you, Kel was talking about with cash flow, is you're able to turn that order and that material. You just bought that material, and now you get out the door, and you're sending it off, and the clock starts now on getting paid versus a top one where now it's delayed and you're seeing these problems show up later in the process. And all that is money just sitting there churning away and you're not getting paid yet. And that's where it really starts to show in the dollars. It's yeah. a little counterintuitive. And then, yeah, basically in this, like the feedback signal for an error occurring in the bottom one is one day. They figured it out after one day. And the top one, I believe it's, no, sorry, three days at the bottom one and 29 days at the top one. So if you can imagine that like you've put hinged everything on like getting to, to, the, to the customer in a certain time frame and then like getting close towards the end, you're like, oh my God, we have like a ton of errors in the system. And in reality, errors tend to compound themselves of more errors and so on and so on. So it becomes an even bigger problem. So that's just a kind of a very simple graphical illustration um, 
of like how lean single piece flow and uh, just in time thinking can help you. And just to kind of put this in perspective, like we're talking about making product technically, but like think of each of these yellow things as like an email, right? It's a little harder to do 10 emails at a time, but, uh, or forms, how, how about that? Like you've got a, a contract that you have to put together for customers, right? You can either like do it once a day and do all 10 in one go, or you can just do them as they come in, or once a week and 10 in one go, or do them as they come in. And the chances that you're gonna like find an error or find a problem with something early on are gonna be much higher than if you try and do it all 10 in one go. If you wait until like day 10 to do 10 things and then, then you find a problem, then you haven't got any time to go back. I find this a lot myself where, okay, right now I'm closing on a house, okay? I'll take that as an example. You know how much paperwork's involved in that. And little things arise, like surprises, like, oh, wait, we didn't know that this wasn't paid down and that was like there and blah, 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 money, this and that. The faster I get it to my mortgage broker, the faster I get feedback on something is wrong and we need to fix that. If I sit and I, I got 45 days to close, what am I worried about? I can wait another two weeks, you know, whatever. But I've been really like conscientious, like, no, get this to him quicker. Like, as soon as I get an email, I respond as fast as I can. When I'm done here, I'm going to go back to my hotel room and respond to the emails. Because <laughs> the faster I get it to him, the faster it gets processed, and the more chance there is that we can not get caught with our pants down on day 44 with like, oh my God, we've missed all this stuff, and this is wrong, and that's going to take days to fix. So. Obviously, I mean, the common theory is that there's greater efficiency with larger batch size in the case of, you know, making a compound salad or something. Does this mean, I mean, like, how would it relate to deli? Like, if, you know, like, okay, I'm going to make 20 pounds of tuna salad versus one pound. Okay, so there's a this simple answer to that. Like Everybody hear that question? Yeah? yeah? Okay. So... The quote, it's all based on customer demand. How much, how many pounds of deli are you selling, or tuna salad are you selling in a day? Say 20 pounds. Okay, if you're selling 20 in a day, it probably makes sense to make 20 in a day, in one go. Now, you could also say, I'm gonna make 100, and I'm gonna have a whole week's worth, and I'm gonna put the rest in the freezer and defrost them every day, and so do that, and then you might not wanna do that because of quality, but say that you didn't care about that, you could do that. Then I would say, no, don't do that, just make a day's worth. Now, we could also say that, when does it get sold during the day? Is it all sold in the morning, or is it kind of really steady throughout the day? Uh, steady. Steady, okay. Well, maybe make 10 in the morning and 10 in the afternoon, because I bet you there's a lot of stuff you have to do in the morning, more so than you have to do in the afternoon, to a certain extent, like when there's certain rushes or things like that. You could work around that and do smaller batches, and that makes you more agile to work around those rushes and all the things that come up. So, and also, it's going to be fresher, right? If you make 20 pounds at the beginning of the day and let it run all day versus making 10 pounds at the beginning of the day and another 10 pounds maybe just before the lunch rush, it's going to be way fresher. You're going to have a better quality and you're going to, people are going to respect that. Does that make sense? It does. So each of the, the yellow blocks then reflects maybe an order from a, from a customer. So like in retail, yeah. it would be like, that's what we can sell today. In manufacturing, it'd be like, okay, we've got one customer. They ordered hundreds of these widgets. Yeah. We're going to make 100 for him so, instead of making 200 yeah. and having I, an inventory. Is that the idea? Another way to think about it is that each one of these yellow boxes doesn't necessarily represent one unit of item, like yeah, one customer order. It's just one batch. So think of it as a single batch flow as well. But 
the key here is that it's based on customer demand, not on just because you can make more, you should make more. Are there economies of scale? Yes, no one denies that. Should you do it before you need to? No, that's what Lean said. At some point, you'll get to a point where you're selling 100 pounds of tuna a day, and then you should make 100 pounds of tuna a day, and then you'll get those economies of scale, but before then, don't do that, because it's going to affect your quality, and it's going to stop you from being as agile to, you know, if you're making 10 pounds of tuna, and you only need five right now, and then the microwave breaks, and you've got to go buy a new microwave, if you'd only made 10, you would have had that time to do that, and because you made 20, you didn't. So think of it that way as well. Uh, you have a question? Uh, yeah, I was just, uh, I mean, kind of like, the, uh, sorry, kind of like working off what he said, but like you start off with 10 batches in the morning and you need more. The problem is if you don't make that, if you don't make that all earlier, that's something else somebody has to do later on in the day and they were otherwise going to be working on something else. You see what I mean there? So like you're taking labor, I mean, you could be taking labor away from something else that had to be done. But, but you're also taking away potentially labor from something that needs to be done now by doing it early. So it kind of goes both ways. And it, again, like it's the 80-20 principle, it doesn't always, it really is depending on the demand from your customer and how the workflow works in your day. So, and it's also really thinking about, the idea is that you want to minimize the fluctuations in workflow as much as possible throughout the day. So ideally people are like never too stressed because they're working too hard and they never just sit around doing nothing because that's no fun either, right? It's get boring at work if you have nothing to do. But it's also not fun to be super stressed. So it's about like minimizing the batch sizes so that you can like even out the flow, balance the flow, balance the, uh, yeah, the flow current. Do you think this Yeah. So uh, another thing that you want to look at is with your customers, and say they want 100 of, of certain items, are they going to consume all 100 at, at once instantly? Um, a lot of times we look at how do we level load out the customer's demand? They might have ordered all at once, but they're not going to use it all at once. So, how about for that hundred order? Can I give you ten today, ten tomorrow? You know, and you have to look at the delivery and stuff like that as well. But there's probably a, a time where it says, how can we deliver to you in, in the rate that you're consuming it? Because what if they have a run into a problem and they say, you know what? Actually, we don't need hundred. We don't only need fifty now. They said, well, we already made the hundred. So what do we do with these other fifty? You know, you're kind of stuck. But if you're doing it and, and as you're consuming it. All of a sudden, they run into a problem, or they run into a delay, or something gets canceled, and then you can respond quickly, and you don't have all that built up ahead of time, and then you're not at risk of carrying all that extra work that you already paid somebody to do. And I would also add, like from an environmental perspective, kind of coming to what you were saying, and again, it's all based on customer demand. It's about knowing your customer. You're probably talking about people coming in and just ordering one, so that's kind of different. But say that you had a wholesale client who's buying like a whole week's worth at a time, when really like. They're only using a certain amount every day. You could say, look, let's figure something out where you can just pick up daily. You know, it's going to be fresher for you. It means I can carry less inventory, you can carry less inventory, et cetera, et cetera. And what that is, if you look at like the supply chain going all the way back to the beginning, we did that for everything all the way back to the grower, you know, the onions and the potatoes and everything else and the potato salad. It means that at any given time, there's less produce being transported and stored and refrigerated, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So from a, an ecological perspective, it's a lot more sustainable. Because you're not having to like, essentially what we've gone, we've, we've like, especially in America, I've gone into this like cost accounting way of living because that's what's marketed to us through Costco. Costco is all about this. That's what Costco is. Costco have like one size and it's fucking huge. And you don't need to buy it. I mean, when I go there, like I remember looking once at fish oil when I first went lean. I was buying fish oil tablets, right? And I'm like, oh, Costco, they're really cheap. It's like 12 bucks for 250 or 300 or whatever it is. Uh, no, actually, it was like 400 or something like that. Or it's like, you know, $8 for 50. 
I'm like, well, obviously, I'm going to pay 12 bucks. Like, well, that's not lean. I should maybe only buy it. And I looked at the, the actual sell-by date, and I kind of did the calculations. Like, shit, I, I can't take these before they run out of, like, before they go by the sell-by date. It's ridiculous, you know? But we just, like, think about the, the number, the per-piece cost, even though we don't need it yet. So, and once you spent that money, it's left your bank account. Now, another way to think about it from a marketing perspective, if you buy something ahead of time and put it in inventory, sat on a shelf, is that adding value to your client and is it adding value to your business? No, <laughs> it's not, right? If you go to a bank and try and get a loan, they'll look at your inventory turnover as a sign of how well you manage cash flow. I guarantee you, they take the amount you make in a year, how much inventory you have on your balance sheet, they run the number, that's your inventory turnover. A lean company has like inventory turnover of 26 times a year. Most companies have like eight to 10. When I went to a bank and I showed them my balance sheet, they were like, oh my God, you guys have an incredible inventory turnover. And I was like, what's that? And they explained it to me. I was like, oh yeah, it's good to me. So all of these things are connected. And um, I've lost my train of thought now because I went off on a tangent. <laughs> Any other questions? I have a question. Yeah. Back to small batch sizing or splitting batches. Where does the consideration for equipment setup and sanitation and tear down and cleanup, and where does that fall into play? That's a very good question. So you're talking about uh, what we call in lean um, Set up time or um, yeah, so that's usually what uh, one of the big complaints is well, we need to batch this because it takes so long to set up our processes. And what Lean says is <clears throat> perfect, that's where you need to focus your attention is on the setup. How do we reduce the setup time because it makes you uh, not as agile and not as flexible because of this large setup. And there's an uh, endless number of case studies of show, taking setups of hours long, even days long of setups down to uh, minutes and seconds of setup, looking at the process of how the setup is done and saying, how can we off, off, take some of the setup offline? How do we come up with better fixturing, better um, uh, little devices, better alignment tools and jigs to make the setup very simple and streamlined? So once as soon as that, you know, one order goes through, that time turnaround time, it, the clock's ticking, especially in, in areas where it's a very um, a bottleneck process. And so it's really about getting the setups down. And then if you can do that, then it allows you to change and say, we can do multiple things in the morning. We can run five different orders instead of one major one. So yeah, it really forces you to look at how do you improve the setups of, of your processes so it doesn't require you to run so much, so, so it's such a large batch. And uh, another, you know, savings there by doing that is quite often we'll think like, okay, you know what, if I want to increase my capacity, I'm just going to buy two of these machines, because then I can do twice as much in one go, right? I'm going to batch even more. And what does that mean? Well, then you all of a sudden like, on your, on your sorry, profit and loss statement, that looks great, because you're more efficient. But on your balance sheet, that sucks, because you've just taken on like either a bunch of debt or just drained a bunch of cash out of your bank account for paying for this machine. So the capital investments required to not be lean are actually far greater than being lean. That's a huge part of it. And often people don't, I've met a lot of business owners and a lot of people who don't understand the difference between a balance sheet and a P&L. And the key difference is that the P&L is all about profit. Now, a great example of this is the tech industry. You can invest millions in the tech industry and have a company that's very profitable on the P&L, but like makes no money really because the balance sheet, they're carrying like, you know, a $10 million investment based on like some kind of future potential, which is total bullshit in my mind, but um, 
you know, let's take, take Uber for instance, you know, it's valued at like $40 billion. They've got $40 billion from people to, 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 to run this company that really like generates no profit, essentially. Or it does generate a profit, but like, that's a whole different story. Like, I think the way we look at accounting in the world is like the opposite of like thinking about the world in a sustainable way. Money is like the antichrist of that. But that's a big part of Lean as well. Like Lean really like looks at like the balance sheet, really, it, it takes the balance sheet as number one. It doesn't take the bottom line, it takes the balance sheet. That is what you should be looking at. That's your cash flow. That's the, that's the health of your company. If you have assets, that's good. If you have a lot of debt, that's bad. If you have negative equity in your company, that's not a good thing. That's not how you're gonna support your people. It's not how you're gonna be able to raise wages. It's not how you're gonna be able to like provide your customers with the quality that you want. And that's what Lean's all about. It's about trying to get back at that quality. Uh, and the other thing I was thinking of the, earlier on that I forgot was that if you invest money in inventory or in equipment, especially inventory, that's just sat there gathering dust. You're paying to store it. That's extra space, extra square footage, which in Portland is really expensive these days. Um, you're also paying to light it, to freeze it, to whatever it. You have to like keep it in mind. You have an inventory tracking system to like make sure it's there or not and checking in and now. That's all more complex now. Uh, and there's more room, which means you have to walk further to get it. All those things come into it, into the wastes. But here's a really key one, right? I can spend $100 extra on inventory and save myself maybe a cent per piece. Or, and it's going to last me three months, right? And that's three months of $100 that I've taken out of my bank account and sat on a shelf. Or I could take that $100 and put it into social media marketing and a really smart campaign. I'll probably get that back within a month. So there's much better ways to like use your money than it is to put it in inventory. Inventory is just dead money. It's just sat there. It can go bad. It can go out a day. How many times have you changed a product and then all of a sudden you're like, oh crap, we ordered way too many of these boxes and now we have to change something. You know, it gets all into this. There's a whole industry around like selling used boxes for like things that are like being changed or gone out of date or whatever. Why? Because we don't think lean, because we wait, order way too much, because that's what we're told by Costco. <laughs> okay, moving on. So, some more theory. What is work? In lean, we say work is making an advance in the process while enhancing the added value. So, what's the value added work then? It's anything the customer is willing to pay for. The customer's not willing to pay for it, don't do it. That's the kind of bottom line of lean. Don't spend time doing things the customer's not willing to pay for. If I have to walk 10 feet every single time I do something, I do it 100 times a day, that's going to cost the company about $600 a year. Is the customer going to pay for that? No, of course not. They like put the things next to each other so you don't have to walk 10 feet. I don't want to pay for that. They want to pay for value in your product, right? They want it to, they want it to taste good. They want it to look good. They want it to smell good. They want to care about the fact that you've taken the consideration of where, this thing is, where it's coming from, where the products are coming from, and where your materials are coming from. They care about customer service and you taking the time. They don't care about you walking 10 extra feet or that you have two facilities that are five miles apart. They don't care about that. That's not something they're, they're going to be considerate about when they're paying for it. So when we look at the eight waste, which we're going to get into very soon, that's what it's all about. It's about eliminating anything that isn't value added work. That's what the eight waste are premised on, which all goes back to single piece flow. It all goes back to small batches. And it all goes back to like saving cash and having a smaller footprint of operation. That's a big part of it. It's like the longer you can stay in your building, the better off you're going to be. As your business grows, you will offset or rather you will delay any capital investments you have to make in your infrastructure, in your machinery and inventory 
so much at every step of the way when you go lean. When I had my business, we ran out of my house and we had 10 people working in my basement, okay? <laughs> we had the whole like operation down there. And we were bursting at the seams. When we went lean, we managed to push that another two years. Wasn't fun being in the basement necessarily, but like, you know what? It saved us like $10,000 because the move cost us 10 grand. So we were able to delay that $10,000 expense for two years. And when we first thought we needed to move, we didn't have 10 grand. By the time we needed to move, we had that money and it became a very transitional, natural thing for us to do. But only because we went lean and managed to kind of like crimp down and put more through our, by increasing throughput, you know, single piece flow, it's faster, it gets things out the door faster. By doing that, we needed less space. We were making more out of our space. And it was less stressful as well. So, what is waste? Waste is non-value added work or anything the customer does not want to pay for. And with that, I'm going to pass it over to Brian. Thank you. So there's an acronym because even I forget sometimes all the different eight wastes. Um, called Tim Woods, and there's actually a couple different versions of acronyms out there you might have seen. This one's not Tim Woods, I'm sorry. Yeah, but, uh, but you should get one of these posters, so before you leave, come grab one. So this one uh, is easy for me to remember. And the first one is called T for transportation, any kind of movement of materials. I is inventory, we've talked about that a lot. M is uh, movement or motion, and that'll be really around the workspace. What is all the motion going on when someone's trying to do the work? Uh, w is waiting. So if you're waiting for information, waiting for somebody to respond, waiting for material to come to you, that's a form of waste. Overproduction is one of the bigger ones, and that's where we uh, work ahead and, and build ahead of what we need in anticipation, hoping or anticipating that something's going to, an order's coming in or something's going to be there, but it's not there yet. And so we're um, putting a lot at risk by doing that. Or we have process set up to build uh, more than we need or produce more than we need, or process more than we need. Over-processing, so th that's where we start looking at redundancies and, and doing things more than more than necessary or overkill in the process. You know, someone does a process and then the same person does the same thing and they don't realize that they're actually both doing the same task. That's uh, over-processing. And then defects, that's one of the big ones. When you actually have a problem and something was done incorrectly or supplier sent you something wrong, or something was uh, a mistake was made, that's going to cause a bunch of other problems to show up. So if you have defects, I would start with those because you will have uh, it'll cascade into a lot of other areas. Now I got to move the defect out of the way. I got to spend time figuring out what happened. I probably have a back. Everything stops in the process. I may have to hold up and send things back because I found the issue. And the later you find these things, the more painful it is. And then the last one is uh, skills. And that's basically looking at what are your people doing and are they set up and structured in the right uh, job for their skill set? And are we utilizing their brains, not just their hands? And lean is all about respect for humanity, respect for people, and that's about saying everybody has value to provide, everyone has ideas. What are your ideas? How can we make this better? How can we streamline this? How can we make this more efficient? What's a smarter way to work? And a lot of times, uh, a lot of places we go and talk to people and say, yeah, I brought up those ideas when I first started and then I quit giving ideas because no one would listen and no one heard my suggestions. So forget it. I just come here, I do my job and I go home. And that's really sad. And that's the whole um, 
the whole emphasis around lean is really about getting your employees and your workers to empower them to make suggestions and implement those ideas so they can see that things are getting better. They've got those ideas, you just gotta pull it out of them. And you gotta be persistent and, and show them, you're gonna do something with your information. We're not just gonna write on a list or put it in a comment card and then walk away and, and forget about it. Um, just on the overproduction, and you see this as worst ways, just talk about that a little bit more. So the reason why overproduction is considered the worst ways, if you think back to that slide of the crazy kayaker, right? Overproduction is, it's basically like the level of the river by overproducing, you're increasing the level of the river and then you're hiding the rocks, right? The rocks are all the other wastes. That's the way I think of it. When you're overproducing, you're hiding all the other wastes. One of them, for instance, like we talked about earlier, if you're overproducing, it's easy to hide the waste in the setup time of a machine. Because you don't think about it. It takes you one minute to set up a machine and you're doing like 100 things and running it for four hours, who cares? If it takes a minute to set up a machine and you're running for two minutes, all of a sudden that one minute makes a big difference. You might want to get it down to like five seconds if you can. So it's overproduction is considered the worst waste because it hides all the other ones. Well, let's look at a couple of examples. I think the video is, is that next? Yeah. Okay. Uh, all of you have a, a sheet on a chair near you or on you. Let me know if everybody, anybody doesn't have one of those sheets. Okay, can somebody pass the spare one over to people that don't have one? I think they're mostly around the front here. Okay, so we're going to watch a video called Meals Per Hour. Toyota here in America has a non-profit, or not-for-profit, sorry, um, and they help non-profits to be more lean and be more efficient. Um, and this is a, a video that was done by Toyota or by another company on behalf of Toyota to talk about a nonprofit that was putting out meals for Hurricane Sandy um, after Hurricane Sandy. And they helped them get out more meals per hour to people who need it. So what I want you to do, this is the video bingo, is look at the eight ways that you have on the sheet in front of you. Uh, maybe take like 30 seconds or a minute now and kind of let's read through those a little bit. And what we're going to ask you to do is while we play this video, we want you to put an X when you see one of those wastes happening. We don't care which one it is, whether it's environmental, whether it's um, manufacturing, or whether it's an information waste. When you see one, exit. The first person to have all eight, bingo. And we'll talk about that a little bit. We don't, I've never done this before with this video in this way, so like, it may be that you don't get eight, and that's okay, but if you do, that'd be awesome. You get to win a lot of snacks. They're all downstairs. <laughs> Just take a minute and look through, like, read for them so you kind of familiarize yourself a bit more with them. And then we'll get the video started. I don't want to scream the other videos that come up on the side. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, just ignore that. Uh, YouTube. Well, that YouTube. Yeah. yeah, right. That's obviously based on my prior viewing. <laughs> it knows. Damn it.
store, but I also like to put smiles on people's faces. <laughs> If there's a child out there that's in need, I need to help this person out. Thank you very much. Can everybody hear it? When we down to our last box, and you have like seven families standing on the line and you just have that one box and you don't know what exactly to do that kills me george is a great leader he knows what he's doing but um they didn't really have a system kind of set up because if you have a good system i think the work takes care of itself TPS, the Toyota Production System. The summation of many, many small, simple, cheap improvements can have a very big impact. People are starting to understand that these basic principles of the Toyota Production System apply to any kind of process. It doesn't have to be a manufacturing process. have our way of doing it but if there's a faster way for us to go out and get food out to people faster then I'm all for it I'm all for it what about a different box size so that we're not shipping so much air if you go to a smaller box we would have the benefit of being able to put more meals on the truck to serve more people the side benefit being it's not so difficult to handle Thing that struck me was how difficult it was for the volunteers that were there to pack that box. I mean, they were walking long distances, they were carrying heavy weight. It was kind of just arranged just the table in the middle, everybody was scrambling to get stuff open, and I'm like, this is not really too productive. <laughs> so, by putting everybody on one side of the line and having the material come from the opposite, we think we're going to get a smoother flow. Yeah, let's go for it now. I don't, I don't, I don't care if I leave work late. I don't, I don't care. Well, I don't want you to have to walk 15 feet to go get those two cans of corn. I want those cans of corn to be readily available to you in the right quantity at the right place at the right time, so that you can pack it in the box. Wow, this looks a lot different, doesn't it? It's cool, yeah. Does anybody remember how long it was taking us to pack one box when we first started? Three minutes. Three minutes? That's exactly right. It was around three minutes. Three minutes for a box. What do you think we were packing one box? How long and how many seconds today? About 11 seconds. Kaizen is a Japanese word for continuous improvement. And what this philosophy means is we always want to strive step by step to make a process better. Outside Toyota, problem can sometimes have a negative connotation, like a bad thing. 
I find that in many cases it's better to say we have something that we can improve. Sweet. That's really good then. We should have maybe have eliminated skills. That's a good thing to use improvement for, for the next time we do this. Um, actually, speaking of which, so they used the term Kaizen there. Anybody heard of that before? Kaizen, right? Continuous incremental improvements. This morning I was at one of the other talks here. Uh, it was about uh, regenerative uh, farming or regenerative uh, systems. And it was really interesting because uh, as one of the ladies there was explaining about it, she said, well, think of it this way. This is her kind of envisioning or envisioning regenerative um, uh, farming or regenerative ecologies and she said like we have degenerative where we take more than than we should be you know and it's degenerating the the, the land and degenerating the uh, the soil and then we have sustainable and her mind sustainable is basically saying well if we cut some trees down here we'll plant some more here and her definition of this is really interesting which is that sustainable is really just sustaining a degenerative system and then she said, regenerative, and these are her words, is about a system that continuously approves upon itself. That is exactly what Kaizen is. It's continuous incremental improvements. So it's a regenerative system. And that is like when you go lean as a company, you have, that's why it's agile, because it's regenerative. You're able to constantly adapt yourself. You're always building upon strengths that you already have and changing and allowing yourself to change. I think it was a really interesting kind of way of thinking about it for me and thinking about dirt and land and everything else. So, you know, for sustainable to be something that's like, yeah, that's not so great. It's like, well, that's actually really true. <laughs> I mean, sustainable in itself is a word like, depends what you're sustaining. You're just sustaining a broken system, that doesn't help you, you know? Okay, good. We're back there. All right, so, you see Tim Woods. So we'll give you a little bit more definition on some of these. <clears throat> we just can't give you a, a, a brief overview. Do we want to talk about the ones in the video, or? Yeah, actually, uh, when we go through, let's let's bring up the ones you saw uh, under each one. So transportation is the first one. Did anyone see transportation? What did you see? Before they had the 
assembly line, basically. They were going from station to station. Yep. So there are people walking. You showed the footprints of people walking around, right? What else did you see? Yeah. Empty trucks just waiting for the product to be ready to be loaded. Okay. So they'd be they're waiting around. Yeah. Okay. We'll get to the waiting in a second here. There was yeah. Because the boxes were too big, they were shipping air. Shipping air, okay. Right. So all over the process trucks were not actually filled. Yeah, so that could be, yeah, which exact bucket it falls into can vary a little bit, but that could be, yeah, like sending too much out than you need. Could be a little bit over production, over processing. Yeah. It's also like inventory for shipping air. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, that, that, that air, that space is an inventory in itself. You know, you have a limited amount of it, and if you're using more than you need to be, there's also a uh, forklift driving around. Mm -hmm. I was transporting stuff around, and who knows if it was moving it towards the customer or just moving it, pushing it in one area. Hey, we need to make more space. Push this over to the side and bringing this over here. That's a waste. Yeah. Uh, maybe one way to think about the boxes and transportation is they have to spend the same amount of gas and time shipping that truck there, but then it's a less less product. Overall. Yeah, they got fewer boxes yeah. out and fewer yeah, so products. You use the fuel like you're spending anyway. That's right, yeah. yeah. I wondered if there was some other piece of transportation that just normally would have been going to that area anyway and they could have piggybacked on that or something. Yeah, possibility too, right? So having two different half-filled trucks or items going out, that's kind of a waste as well. Right. Good. So, so in the manufacturing areas, you see product or parts or materials moving from group to group or cell to cell or to from one process to another, and you want to condense that as close to each other. In fact, some of it will get people into a very, very small area, not too confining, but uh, close to each other, so you're minimizing the amount of travel that takes place. Uh, there's also increases the communication that's going on, because I can talk right to somebody instead of someone on the other side of the room. Say, oh, I was gonna say something, but uh, they'll figure it out. That's, that's another waste that would show up later. Service would be sending emails around to find the right person. Who's the right contact for that? Uh, I don't know, let me send it to you, to another person. And then, uh, so the, the item or the, the document's traveling around. Uh, moving files around to different locations. We're gonna uh, reconfigure our, our network drive, and so I'm gonna put the files in a different place. Or I need to go actually get physical signatures from somebody. I have to go walk around and find the right person. Another good one is in office setting, is like where the printer located. It might be obvious to put in the middle, but if the person who's using it the most isn't right next to it, that doesn't make sense. If one person's using the printer 70% of the time, they should be right next to it. So the environmental impact with, with that has to do with fuel. We talked about that briefly. So the fuel required, if you're just moving stuff around, you need to pay for fuel to, to transport that out around, and that might have an environmental impact. And then you're, when you move things, you have to spend time packaging it up so it doesn't get damaged or broken. And so you might be buying extra cardboard or bubble wrap or um, tape, and that all has a cost to it and that has an environmental impact. So that time sometimes gets lost and we forget that there's setup and processing time that needs to take place. Okay. So then inventory itself, we talked about this uh, quite a bit. From a manufacturing standpoint, um, that's things that are in the process that aren't quite done yet. Um, and so, so it's waiting to be processed through and we just haven't completed it yet. Or it's stuff in the warehouse waiting to be used. We, we got a really good discount on something, and now we're gonna store it in a room, and oh, by the way, we're gonna light the room, 
and we're going to heat and cool the room and we're going to pay for the floor space so that's going to increase our rent because we need all this extra space and that has an environmental impact and then on the service side you've got to-do lists that you're working through that's a whole inventory if you've got 50 things on your to-do list and you say well i'm going to prioritize my list and five minutes later you've gone through all 50 items and tried to figure out which one's most important well if you can keep your lists very small small batches then you don't it doesn't take it long for you to figure out which is most important so the longer the uh, process work you have in process going on that's more you have to uh, work through or voicemail messages you have to go back through any other thoughts on inventory? I think we touched on that quite a bit. Maybe on the video? Or? Hmm? Oh, yeah, on the video, then. Did you see examples of inventory? They had the pallets and boxes of all the canned goods they were giving mm -hmm. out. Um, yep. Waiting, I guess. And I, I don't know how long it was there. Yeah, it's a good there, question. You know, we don't know. I don't know yeah. if it was just sent there, but. Right, right. Large yeah. quantities. Yeah, there's a lot there. Is that all they needed for the day, or were they was that two days or three days worth? Yeah. Right. That, we don't really know that from the video. But yeah. It's there, so you ask, you start asking those questions. Sure. An interesting one there. So is um, they probably had to donate it, mm -hmm. and I'm sure the people donating are just like, here you go, you know, yeah. like five months worth. So yeah. sometimes you don't always control it, and that's that's a big part of lean. It's like if you want to be a truly lean organization, because it's a system science, because you have inputs and outputs. If your inputs aren't in sync with your lean system, that's sometimes very hard. So sometimes when you go lean, or actually not sometimes, 99% of the time when a company goes lean, you have to change at least one, if not more than one vendor, like main vendor, to work with you better. Vendors will work with you in a lean way, we just have to kind of like massage them into it sometimes. Okay, next. So next is motion. So this would be uh, focus on the workspace, so the work area. So look at the reaching that was done. Um, or someone's turning around in their desk or in their seat. Uh, they're getting up and looking for their tools. Um, those are those are things that are uh, inefficiencies going on in the workspace. So, or look at your desk and the tasks that you do are the things that you use most often closest to you, and the things that you don't use very often furthest away from you. Some people have filing cabinets or uh, drawers of paperwork in there, and they never use those things. And instead, every day they're reaching around those unused items all the time and that seconds or minutes add up and, and over a long period of time that's a, that's a lot of inefficiency so um, looking for tools ergonomic issues that come up when you're reaching over things or getting up and twisting around and, and grabbing stuff and and always going down to the lowest drawer to get the thing they're using most often let's bring it up closer so it's not so much of a reach uh, service side um, switching between computer programs would be example so I got to click on this screen then I go over here I log in here I download this file then I transfer it over and then I open up on this screen all that is a lot of motion going on and sometimes it's hidden because you just see somebody at a desk working you don't see all the waste that's happening on their screen searching for files um, the yeah the shortcuts right yeah who here uses knows the keyboard shortcut for switching between programs on the computer Alright, so half of you, more than half of you, are not very efficient there. It's such an easy thing. It's like click, click, and it's so much faster than moving the mouse down and opening things up. Just keep it. Uh, for Mac, you know, I, you know, I can. It's either Alt Tab or Command Tab. Yeah, Command Tab for Mac. Yeah. And you can go back and forth. It's like yeah, here's Command Tab. So this is me switching between programs. 
So, and then, you know, obviously everybody knows, you know, control C and control V and things like that, but there's like so many keyboard shortcuts. And another one is uh, text expanders. Anybody here know what a text expander is? Mm -hmm. All right, it's actually a program called text expander. You can program anything into that. So like say that you have a standard blurb, like for instance, one of my standard blurbs in email is like, cheers, kiao, or thank you, kiao, or kind regards, kiao. If I want to put cheers, kiao, I just go CCC, and it writes it out for me. You can put anything in there, as long or short as you want. It's really simple. It's a great way if you have customer service or if you have certain emails you're sending out that are always the same. Anything you write that is the same. If I'm working on something like the Provena Conference, I'm constantly referencing the URL for what we're doing right now. So I have that in my thing as a text expander. So I don't have to go find it, copy, paste it, put it back in there. If I'm doing that 100 times in like a week, that saves me at least like 10 minutes. I can read my book instead. And then uh, environmental impact there is it's delay, uh, it causes delays, and that could lead to now we got to stay late, or now we got to work on the weekends to get our, our work done, and now we got to come in and someone's got to turn the lights on, we got to heat and cool the building, and maybe we could have avoided that in the first place. So there's the environmental impact there. And I got more lighting, more energy usage to get the job done that I, maybe I, if I'd done it a little differently or a little smarter, I could have got it done in the normal work hours. Do you see any motion in the videos? Yeah. The one I noticed was manual pallet wrapping. You run around mm -hmm. the thing, it's just like the worst way to do that. <laughs> yeah, instead of spinning. The next one, you just probably get the spinning one, right? Yeah. Or figuring out not to wrap it. Yeah. Very the environment as well. Probably long term, I mean, they transported, I don't know where their warehouse was and where their drop off points were, but I think they would look at how do we get closer to our customers? And, we and they would load it right out of the truck. So if they could load it maybe right into the truck. You won't even eat pallets. Yeah. Yep. Wait, so what is the other way to wrap a pallet? Like, what am I missing? Oh, there's this machine that spins around. Oh, okay. So you get a little swirl, yeah. swivel on the bottom. Oh, oh interesting. Yes, we don't have that where I'm Yeah, I've seen You guys know one of the, the most uh, uh, recognized pallet wrapping machine manufacturers in the US is in Portland. Uh, oh. Top tier. I went, and, really I went and checked out their facility. It's pretty interesting. Mm. Crazy machines. Super expensive. <laughs> Uh, waiting. How many of you saw waiting? I think that got brought up. Uh, waiting for the stuff to get delivered. Yep. The people in the line waiting in line for there. Yep. And they're trying to cut that line down shorter and shorter. Right. And so they have one time drop off. Maybe in the future they start looking at maybe we're going to deliver multiple times a day. So it's shorter lines. Fewer fewer people have to be in line. We can maybe do um, 30 minutes, send a truck out. Do another 30 minutes of processing, send another truck out, and start to get more one piece at a time. Be better service as well, because not everybody can make it at the same time. Right. You know, some people have time in the morning, some people have time in the afternoon, depending on their schedules. Yeah. The worst people waiting in line than not getting anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a net a defect, basically, that you didn't even get what you came here for. So now you got people upset, and if, that, if they're running a business, not a donation service, imagine the feedback that would yeah. cause or the impact that, that would have on their business. I thought about was they were packing everybody three days worth of food. You know, if they wanted to make sure everybody got some food, smaller boxes packed two days worth of food. Their batch of three, three days, right? Maybe yeah. you can get it down to one or two days, right? Yes, great idea. So the uh, the waiting, usually that means there's a backup somewhere, and that backup shows up as inventory somewhere else that we're, we're stuck, we got a bottleneck in the process, and therefore I gotta, wherever that backup is happening, I gotta store stuff, or gotta take, it takes up space, I need more floor space, I need a heat, cool, light area. All those things kind of come back on the environment there. Um, 
Next one is over-processing. So that's going to be uh, duplicating people's efforts. And it's a little hard to pick that up in the video, but did anyone see any things that look like over-processing? Maybe they're doing something redundantly? Yeah. I feel like when they first had their packing system, they were each doing their own box mm -hmm. instead of having a system where it passed along the line. Yeah. So they, yeah, they're probably picking up setting down, and then they're probably picking up again, shifting it around. Oh, let me, I need this item, let me put that in. So they basically are picking up and putting down items multiple times. So once you touch something, process it and, and be done with it. Don't set it there, and then move it around, and then bring this around, and then pick it up again. So that adds up time over and over again. Uh, cleaning parts multiple times, duplicate data entry systems, uh, over-inspecting, over-checking the work, when it doesn't need to be done. Uh, too many approvers, so maybe one person needs to approve it, or two, but not six or seven. That's an over-processing. Um, or having to uh, micromanage somebody, where they're checking everything that they're doing. That's a, a form of over-processing as well. Can I talk about yeah. One that I directly experienced when we went lean is that we used to sand bamboo panels and we were really about our quality. Like We, we always said, like, baby smooth. When you touched it back, it's like, ah. Um, but, you know, everybody had their own standard in their mind of what that feels like. And what we wanted is to set a standard that we felt our, our customer wanted and then stick to that. And when we went, first went lean, so we started timing people on, like, well, how many passes of the sanding pad, depending on, like, what stage is that, but, like, the new sand, you know, brand new sanding pad, um, do you need in order to get that baby smooth finish? And we timed it between three different uh, employees, and one did it for, like, 10 seconds, and it felt great, and the other one did it for... 50 seconds and it felt great. I'm like, oh my god, you know, you're wasting 40 or we are wasting 40 seconds potentially because we haven't set a standard. We haven't said like just go five times this way and five times that way and we're good. So that's also another form of overprocessing. And it was really clear to us like it's so important that you set standards. Now lean isn't about making cutting corners and making it like, well let's get this this what can we get away with? It's not about that. It's about like what is the standard that we want to set for ourselves that so we feel good about our jobs. And that I think is really important. Like the difference to me between like a artisanal company versus like just anybody is that you set the standard. And if your customers don't like it, fine, they go buy cheap somewhere else. You know that that's what it's about. And lean is about like defining that standard internally and then sticking to it and not doing more than that and not doing less than that. Yeah. Another thing that gets a bad rap of lean is sometimes I think standards are restrictive. Like oh now. I'm just a robot and I just follow whatever I'm told to do and this is like working at McDonald's or Burger King but the idea is really to get everybody on the same page on how to do it correctly and then leave it open to say but if you have a better idea or a better suggestion or a way to make it better let's try it out let's experiment let's see if it works and if not we'll go back to the way we're doing it or we'll try it out for a small period of time we're off to the side here so it's really just to get everyone on the same page so you can quickly train new people and you have consistency in your process and then you can go from there. So it's not limiting, it's just to set um, some structure, as much structure as you need, but not more than you need. And then allow the flexibility to make it better and better. Hey Brian, yeah. one of the things that in the beginning of the video, the complaint one of the employees had was it wasn't organized. And so parts lean, and I don't know if you guys are going into it, it's just like the blame culture. Uh, we're getting, we're getting that a little bit. Okay, it's just like what she said, it's like, oh, what Yeah, that's a very important. Yes, it's a. How do we get the? 
what's best for the company? And then set up to just, you're doing, I'm doing better than this person and it's a competition between people. So what's best for the company? And that's where you're, if you're more agile, then people can jump in and help out when things get stuck or, or the process isn't working the way it's supposed to. People are flexible and trained enough to jump in and help out so that the overall company succeeds. And not say, well, I did my work and I'm done, so I'm gonna go home. No, it's about, did we all succeed? So overproduction, again, is um, working ahead of, and doing work ahead of when you need it and thinking that your customer's going to want it, but now then you find out later that don't want it at all or they want something different, and now you go, got to go back and change that. And again, like Kel was saying, it, it hides a lot of other problems. One of the key other key things with Lean is that if, you, if your company is afraid to talk about problems, this probably isn't the place to start because what Lean will do is it'll force a lot of problems to come to the surface. So if you guys don't handle problems very well and you like to kind of avoid talking about them or if it's very much of a blame culture, this will make it worse. So I would work through that part first and, and get to a point where people are okay talking about problems. We're not trying to blame people. We're trying to make the process better. If, if there's a breakdown, it's usually because the process isn't right, not because somebody did it wrong and they're uh, they screwed up and we need to punish them in some way. So um, that's where a lot of people think when they put, start doing lean that, oh my gosh, look at all these problems that are happening. Well, that's good, but now the rocks are being exposed. You need to go deal with the rocks. If you don't like dealing with the rocks, then this is probably not the approach you want to go to because it's going to force you to have to fix those problems. So that's just something to keep in the back of mind. And some people have a bad connotation with it because it exposed a lot of rocks. and. They weren't maybe ready for that, or their culture wasn't ready to deal with those problems. So, I've heard that before. Like, uh, we were lean, we got all these problems now. Like, <laughs> the animal before, you just didn't see it. You didn't see it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, overproduction is, um, yeah, building ahead, completing reports before they're due. So, we have people in finance roles. That, hey, I sent out this report, but my manager was gone, and so he didn't. He was on vacation, and he came back the next week, and he wanted the next week's data added to it. So, instead of uh, just automatically sending out the report and say, let me know when you need it and I'll, I've got my process down to 30 minutes, I can get you the report with the most recent data that you need it right before you go present to your manager or whatever. You know? So it's really about getting it more just in time and not working ahead saying, well, I think they're gonna need it next week. We'll, we'll wait until they actually request it from you. And so if we work ahead, sometimes we, if we end up not using that item or that material, it may have to be discarded, thrown away, taken to the landfill, even recycled is kind of a waste of uh, money that you spent for brand new materials that you end up getting nothing for. Uh, or it becomes unneeded or damaged somewhere along the way. Um, defects cause all kinds of issues. Um, putting on the wrong parts, uh, parts are incorrect, using dull blades, adding the wrong labels, shipping to the wrong address, uh, not doing inspections, those things are all going to come back later and especially if they get to your customer that's going to be very painful and it's not going to help your business. Um, service side is sending paperwork to the wrong person, missing information on forms, having typos, that type of thing. And if you have to redo something then it's uh, an environmental waste or you have to stay later again then that's going to be more light and energy needed to get the job done. And then the last one is the skills. So really just uh, we talked on this real briefly. Not asking for improvements um, not getting people in the right area to where they can be the most effective and use their passion and their skills to the, the fullest, not getting their input, um, 
and really kind of treating people like, um, you know, well, this is how much we'd save if we can reduce one person down, but not thinking about it in terms of, this is how much knowledge they've accumulated over this time and how much they've learned about our business, how much they know their networks, the value of their network. When you look at that, then it's, you really see the value that people provide, not just how much you're paying them each month. Okay, so a little bit about what we were talking about earlier. You know, if, if you want to go lean, it's all about culture. It really is. That's number one. You have to have the culture. Like, if you haven't got a culture that's ready to take on all these like opportunities, as we call them in lean, which are really just problems <laughs> in another world, uh, then you're going to have all people like just fighting with each other. Now, if you tell people, like, okay, guys, we're going to change our culture to be lean, that's what you're going to get. People are so fearful of change. We all know that, right? That's why we're all here at the Provena Conference to try and like be like, let's embrace change because we need it. Um, but the word change itself just has such a negative connotation in people's minds because it's like, I don't want to change, I like who I am, you know? It's not about that. But what can you understand then? Well, you can talk about building. Let's build a new culture, let's build a lean culture. Use the word building, don't use the word change. It seems like a really stupid thing. I know it's the same thing. It's the exact same thing, it's just a different word. But it works better. Building works much better. People can get behind it. So, Gemba, this is a, another Japanese word along, oh, Kaizen, Gemba. Gemba is going to where the work is. If you're talking about, hey, we've got this machine and it has a problem, we want to fix it, don't talk about it around a table. Go to the machine and talk about it at the machine. If you're talking about workflow improvements in the office, go to where you're talking about it and talk about it there. Don't talk about it somewhere else. So it's really, really important. There's so many managers out there who never get on the shop floor and tell people how to do their job. And to be honest, it just pisses people off. They have no respect for you when you tell them how to do your job when they never come and actually see you do the job. So that's another part of like working together. Is like you take the person who's on the line doing the job and you take their opinion over anybody, I mean, you don't take their opinion over anybody else's, but you take their opinion as well as everybody else's, because, and you definitely take a lot of weight with their opinion, because it's important. Unless they don't take change. Kaizen, we talked about it already, continuous incremental improvement. Kaizen is about no blame, only opportunity. So, I'm not from America, as you can probably tell by the accent. I grew up in the Netherlands and England, and especially in the Netherlands, we have this idea of like, it's totally fine to go to someone's house and say, wow, you know, it's kind of messy in this house. It's not about blame, it's just an opportunity. It's just, a, it's just an observation. And that's how we see it. Now, if I did that in America, like, I'd probably have no friends. <laughs> but that, that's how I grew up with. And like, my wife has a hard time with it because like, I did it to her so many times in various things. And she's gotten used to it and realized that like, this isn't about like, me being an asshole. It's just me who I am, I grew up. Now, I've adjusted myself, I've changed. <laughs> but the point is that like, it really isn't about blame, because if somebody says, hey, you know what, this got messed up and you did it, people could easily be like, whoa, what are you saying? Like, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, no, no. You know, I mean, it was with you, and the process that you did to this ended up causing a defect. Here's the great thing. You've exposed an opportunity. Thank you. It's not about messing up. It's not about blaming someone. It's about saying, hey, this, this is a defect, and it happened with you. That's not a blame. That's an opportunity. You hold the key to the problem that we need to solve. So let's solve it together. Well, actually, you know what? Johnny gave it to me, and I realized that he'd done this, which means I had to do that, and that led to that problem. Okay, let's go talk to Johnny, and let's all work on this together and dig down to where the root of the problem is. And that gets into what we call 5Y. Five 5Y five is simply asking, 
why did this happen? Well, because Jones did this. Okay, well, why did that happen? Well, because Cliff did that. Okay, why did that happen? Well, we ran out of this material. Well, why did that happen? Well, because the guy who normally orders it was on holiday. Oh, so we didn't have like a good system in place to trigger a reorder of that material. By doing the five why and being open to like building a new culture and getting into like the dirt and getting into like the nitty gritty of what happened, the root of it, you can put a fire out and the likelihood of it coming back is very slim. If you just say, oh, there's a defect there, let's next time, let's put some QC in there. Let's have somebody stand in between and QC everyone so we catch the defects. Like, well, that's not solving the problem. That's just catching it earlier. We want to get to the root. And that's what 5Y is all about. And you have to have that culture, that lean culture behind it. I'm kind of rocking through these because we're running out of time. So, 5S. This is kind of like a roadmap to lean. It's like Feng Shui for your workplace. You guys all have a little card, I think, that is there. Um, it's uh, actually this company that I work with. They actually produce these lean posters. And they gave me all these to give to you guys, uh, including the posters here. Um, so definitely come and grab a poster. And 5S is really about like your roadmap to lean. So this is how you can kind of start doing lean at, at the workplace, at home, in your office, wherever. Number one is you sort, right? You keep only what you need. Now think about your where you work, whether it's your desk or whether it's a workstation, whatever it is, or whether it's in a warehouse, keep only what you need. And the best way to 5S is grab a box and throw anything in there that you don't think you need and put it underneath the desk. Don't throw it away because you'll be too scared. You'll be like, oh, I'm not sure. You know, like just put it in the, just put it in a box and put it away. And then you set everything in order that you have left. And you arrange it so that it's like, well, you know, I'm right-handed, so my paperclip fish should be here. And then, oh, you think about it, you know, ergonomics, motion, all that stuff. And then you make sure you keep it clean and work. But every every day after work, you put everything back in place again. You know, and we literally like when we five best our workstations, we always remember everybody's like, who's ever looking for a pen here? Right? Have a like space that says pen, and the pen is always there. Because your customer does not want to pay you to be looking for a pen. And looking for pens is not a good use of your time. So have a space, and at the end of every shift, everybody's responsibility is to make sure the pen is back on the pen. And what we did is we just used blue tape, you know, like painter's tape, and just put it down and wrote on their pen. And then if you want to move it, it's easy. You rip it up and put it somewhere else. So that's a great way to kind of set everything in order and keep it steady and shined. Standardize. Standardization is about then thinking about the steps you take to do something. First I put, cut the potatoes, then I boil them, then I do this. And you think about it from a lean way, the eight ways, and just in time. And you do it in a, in a way that is the most efficient. And it's not about making you robots, like Brian was saying. It's about having an A that you can then test against a B. If you all agree on A, this is how we do it, then you can start having ideas about how to do it differently, as opposed to like, well, I do this way because I think it's best, well, I do it that way, and that guy does it that way. That, that's not standardized. Standardized is about all agreeing on the same way. And the great thing is, when you do that, everybody has something to bring to the table. Everybody has their way, and some of it's going to be really great, and other ways is not going to be great at all. But it's about combining all those and then coming up with an even more efficient way, or a way that has better quality. Because at the end of the day, it's about the quality of the product, first and foremost. And then secondly, it's about getting it done as fast as possible. So that's standardization. Now, they're checklists. They're not training manuals. So when you write them out, and we want you to write them out, every workstation should have a checklist for the process, especially when you're doing a production run of things. Potato salad, here's my ingredients. Boom, 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 boom. This is the order that I do things in. Boom, 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 boom. This is how long it goes in the microwave, blah, 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 blah. Test all that stuff. Put it together. And then you can always like tweak it, kaizen it later. But have it written down. But don't make it a training manual. You're, you guys are most likely all too small to have, have warrant training manuals. Because when you're lean, 
It's all about change all the time. So when you change it all the time, that means the manual's gonna be out of date before you finished it. So just make it really simple. Open, you know, microwave for 10 seconds. You don't need to say, walk over to the microwave, open the door, put it in there, you know, like it just needs to be microwave for 10 seconds. Software, open this software. No, don't write that on there. People know that, you know, like enter it into the column. Like they know they're using Excel because they're trained on it. And the great thing is a good checklist is a fantastic training manual combined with someone who knows how to do it. If you combine someone with a checklist, if you combine a checklist, with someone who knows how to do that, you can train someone in seconds or minutes sometimes. And we had a process at Plywork, my former company, that we could train people on in five minutes. And when we got busy, we would hire them in, train them up, and it was shipping. And shipping is fairly complex, but we are so dialed in with our checklist that it was like, a, you know, just do this, do that, then do this, if that, then that. And we just have three pages and some charts of America and zones and postal zones. And it was all like there in front of somebody, and super easy. So it means that when we got busy, we hire people, train them in five minutes, put our best people on the really complex and skilled stuff, and then when we got less busy again, you know, we just had temps, so we let the temps go, and then that way we could deal with the seasonality that we had. And then sustain is really just about going back to number one and doing it all over again, continuing, continuing. And sustain is where culture comes in. If you don't have culture, you can do one, two, three, and four, and then no one will ever look good again. Well, that was fun, that was a good little Kaizen event. Okay, anyway, onwards. You know, it's really about adopting it as a culture. Here's a, a before and after 5S picture. And it's pretty incredible. There's, you just go look for before and after 5S on the internet. It's some really amazing stuff out there. You're like, oh my god. It's like turning your garage, that's like, if you're a hoarder, turning your garage into a hoarder garage and then like making like, ah, shiny and clean and nice. And... All right. You and A, how much time we have here? Right time, it's exactly three o'clock. I just had a super quick comment that the 5S reminds me a lot of Mary Kondo's work. It's okay. Spark Joy stuff. Have you encountered it? No, no, what's it called? It's called Spark Joy. Okay. And she's all about basically just keeping the stuff in your life that sparks joy and getting rid of everything else. And her methodology is like, say your closet, put everything on the floor and only pick up the stuff that resonates is this the japanese thing yes. Yes. yes sorry i have heard of that yes anyway so yeah this, uh, the four four three or four of those steps are yeah. exactly what she says because everything has a place and you only keep the stuff you need yeah you know and so on it's funny actually because my wife started reading that book and one of the things she said to me was like you know the way she just tells you how to like sort and fold t-shirts that's what i always i'm already doing because yeah. i already find that's my closet right. so yeah there's several little out there any other questions or observations? Or, no? Yeah? Um, so I'm thinking about my workplace. Um, and there are a lot of factors that lead to inefficiency. So I'll just turn it on one. Um, what, what does your company do, real quick? Uh, so we're a small grocery, and we're collectively led. So we have 29 employees, and 21 of those are managers. Uh, and there are like huge advantages over having a GM and huge disadvantages of both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, one thing is there are vastly different workloads for different positions. Like while I'm constantly moving and always have something to do in produce, it's a much different workload than say our financial manager who deals with everything related to finances and is the only person related to dealing with finances. Um, and there's there's a lot of workplace resistance to sort of 
chunking down some of those really needy jobs for multiple people so that there's not this overload. So how, how do you encourage people to take those places where the river is really high yeah. and lower it down when it comes to workload for individuals? That, so we kind of try to boil this down to an hour and a half. Usually if I do this, it's a three to four hour thing. So one of the things I talk about a lot, and if I have that time, is cross training. And that's what you're getting into. If you want to balance the workflow of any organization, sometimes some person's going to be really busy, like think of a farm, you know, during harvest, if certain people are really busy. And then other times, like when you have to redo your organic certificate, the other person might be really busy. And it's about balancing that by cross-training. And another great thing about cross-training people is that if you have five people who know how to do the same process, you're going to have much better Kaizen in that process. People are going to be thinking about it all the time and constantly talking to each other and thinking and sharing ideas. You know, two people working on something is going to be more efficient when it comes to like creating a better, more uh, efficient process than if you have just one person doing it. I can think I have the best idea of doing it, and then someone comes along and just blows it out of water in two seconds. I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't think of that, damn it. So, and that's that's what it's all about. But I, I hear you. Your question was really like, how do you get people to be open to cross training? That's a cultural question, and that's the hardest part of lean. And it's it's really about. The first and foremost thing about Lean is having people trust it. And the way to trust it is to say, look, it's been around 60 years, it hasn't been challenged by anything, it's being adopted by more and more organizations around the world, including government, everything, nonprofit, doesn't matter. And there is nothing else out there like it that really has challenged it. The closest I could think of Lean, in a way, as an organizational structure, um, is really, from, from like, especially from the environmental perspective, is looking at an system science. Um, uh, is about permaculture. So permaculture has like the 12 systems, you know, the 12 principles of permaculture and it's a system science. I once did a talk about like the overlap between permaculture and lean, it's actually very interesting. So if it's people that you work with that understand permaculture and how that can work as a system, lean is kind of the same way. It's also system science and there's a lot, but whereas permaculture is looking at like the ecology first and foremost and coming from that perspective, lean is coming out from a business organizational perspective and operations perspective. So within running an organization, that's where you want to be focusing. Any other questions? Or? No? Yeah. yeah. Maybe it relates to her question, but like, uh, at Fire Thunder, so slammed, the managers and people who are doing different jobs oh, yeah. all knew what to do. Yeah. They all stepped in. They knew the process so well. So there was a lot of respect. You know, and so it wasn't, again, blaming. Yeah, we had we had my customer service guy come in on production when we were busy. So like and sales, like if during Christmas we didn't want to do wholesale because like we were so slammed with like orders coming for our website for just everybody for Christmas orders, you know, pets, pictures of their kids, vacations, whatever. Um, that we didn't want to do any wholesale at that point. So the wholesale guy who was spending a lot of time with wholesale was like, okay, you get on the line and do a bunch of shipping, and we just like and if you didn't want to do that. That was the problem. Uh, and when we actually, when we first went lean, we lost, we had 12 people and we lost two. And it's because they just, they weren't open to the change. They were like, I like what I do, I don't want to do other stuff, this is what you hired me for. I'm like, I'm sorry, this is a different company now. You know, I can't afford to have you just spinning your wheels just because what we hired you for that day didn't require you to do that. I'm not going to overproduce because my customer didn't order just because you're here. What I want you to do is I want to take your skills and I want to apply them in other places where I know you can also do well. And if someone doesn't want to do that, which sometimes they don't, then then they leave. And it's we didn't push anybody out. I never fired anybody. 
but they left on their own accord because they didn't like that they were like being forced to do things that they weren't hired for. And that is a downside, and there's no real way around that. So, um, so next steps. Um, first of all, if any of you want this slide, just email me. Um, my email is, uh, it's, so it's the, the letter K at vanzelman.com, okay? Um, I have business cards as well, which I can put out, or if you want to ask me afterwards. That's my website, vanzelman.com. You can also find my contact information there. Just email me and I'll send you the, the deck. Um, so next steps, the going lean. Hang up five S and five waste posters. We don't have any five waste posters, but you have a mini one. <laughs> uh, these are the eight waste posters. Please grab them on the way out. So I think they're, they sell them for like 30 bucks a piece or something, which is crazy. But, you know, when you call something business, uh, uh, all of a sudden it becomes very expensive. Um, five S, your most used messy workstations and areas, and start with your own workstation area. Start with everyday tasks and create standard operating procedures, which is the standardization, SOPs we call them. And you know, like consider the eight wastes. Set up Kanban cards to control inventory levels. I'm gonna let you read up on that yourself. Uh, bring down the level of the value stream to expose waste and opportunities, once you're ready, obviously. <laughs> uh, by reducing, limiting, work in progress, things like that. Uh, Kaizen and 5Y, all of the above. You know, ask all the questions, continuously improve it. Uh, no blame, only opportunities, very important. Don't change the build culture. And then there's some resources here. Lean.org is great at the Lean Enterprise Institute. They publish a lot of books. They're kind of at the forefront of pushing lean in America. Um, some of the best books are published by them. Uh, one of which actually is the Kaizen Express book, uh, which is a great kind of like, it's not a read from beginning to end book, it's a great reference book. It's actually, it's Japanese next to uh, English. They have the translation right next to it. It's really cool. Um, creating lean and green business systems uh, is, I'll let you talk about that in a second. And Taicho and the books at the top are fantastic. You can get and use the pals or Amazon. Um, and then, uh, yeah, why don't you talk a little bit about lean and green business? Okay. Wow. Yeah. So, is there any other slides on there? No, that's it. Okay. I believe. Yeah, sorry, we're, we're over. Um, yeah, but yeah, we have some other books up here if you want to take a look or let us know if you want the slides. But thank you very much for coming and uh, let's, we'll stick around if you have other questions you want to talk through. Thanks.